Hello and welcome to the Latest Science Sport Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Solomon, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Chris Soller. This podcast is brought to you by Hawking Dynamics, the world leader in innovative force plate technology. Hawking Dynamics takes a user-centric approach featuring a fully customizable cloud-based software that allows users to easily digest and analyze complex force plate data. The technology is constantly evolving, much like an app update for your iPhone. They communicate with users on a daily basis to make their system better. In addition to all of that, they also offer some of the most competitive prices for bilateral force plates on the market. And they're the only force plate company offering a completely wireless system. So, if you want to find out more, check out their easy intro to force plate section at www.hawkingdynamics.com forward slash blog. So, without further ado, it's time to welcome Chris onto the show. So, Chris Soler, welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. It's absolutely fantastic to have you here. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. I'm uh, glad to uh, take part in the podcast. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure. So, you've got a, a really interesting story to tell us uh, this afternoon. But first, can we get a quick introduction as to who you are and what you've been up to? Yeah, sure. Um, my name is Chris Soler. I'm uh, currently based in Spain. I'm working for um, Ministry of Sport from Saudi Arabia. Um, in the past, I've worked at uh, Feyenoord Academy, and after that, um, I went to Aspire uh, Academy. Both um, academies, I worked as a as a fitness coach, and in the Aspire Academy, also uh, I changed role to sports scientist. But currently, I'm I'm a fitness coach. Fantastic. So let's let's move quickly into what you're doing, working for the Saudi Arabian Sport Ministry, but in Spain. Yeah, that's uh, obviously a strange um, story. Well, it's not strange. It's actually a very um, thought-through story. Um, in Saudi Arabia, they had a problem that um, the talented youth didn't come through to the first teams. The um, problem they have over there is that um, there's no under-23, under-21 league, and the um, usually foreign head coaches are pressured into winning and therefore um, they don't um, give the chance to the youth. And um, so what they uh, wanted to do is give the youth better training um, possibilities and also better matches. So what we do is what we have done, we've brought around 30 players to Spain. We train there and we play games all over Europe. And that's basically how we want to increase um, the level of, in for the future, of the national team, but also increase the possibility of these players to have a professional career. Uh, that, that's a super interesting concept, right? So they've literally moved uh, youth teams to a different continent. Um, is, is it a completely foreign staff? And by that, I mean a completely uh, European or um, South American, American, you name it, but not um, Saudi staff? Um, the main stuff, it's a mixture actually. Okay. So, um, head coach is Dutch, like main stuff is Dutch. And then, um, we got Saudi, uh, assistant coach, Saudi, another Saudi fitness coach. And so we, it's a mixture of both. So of course, um, most of the staff has, have had uh, experience in the Middle East. Um, and therefore know the culture, know the pl- how the players are. But it's always good and important, I think, 
um, to have the locals, local staff, um, next to you. So they can help you understand the place even better, which in the end, that's what it's all about. Yeah, I can uh, certainly attest to that. When we had uh, a good team manager in the, in the UAE, um, that helped with a lot of issues. So uh, I can certainly imagine that that solves uh, a lot of your problems as well. Um, yeah. And, sorry, yeah. Oh, sorry. Go on. Yeah, no, go, no, go on. Um, no, like, um, like the players uh, that came over didn't all, as a simple example, didn't all speak perfect English. So then you need uh, somebody who has the knowledge, the football knowledge or the SNC knowledge, and also speaks the language. So it's key to have um, Saudi people working with Saudi people in combination with uh, us Europeans. I think that's a, a very solid combination as well. And hopefully they can, uh, they can also take a lot of knowledge from you guys and uh, spread that down over, over a number of years and hopefully translate that to future generations as well. Um, so yeah. how does this differ from training with the clubs in Saudi Arabia? What, what are the physical differences? Uh, what are the cultural differences? Um, like a very uh, simple difference, a very obvious difference is temperature. Um, in the Middle East uh, I'm currently in in Saudi Arabia and um, it's uh, very humid and 40-45 degrees so you can understand that you will have to train at night when the sun goes down it's still very hot intensity of the training is lower because you can't do as much whereas in Spain we have well every season obviously I mean the different seasons but the climate is a lot more um, suitable for training at a high intensity. Um, and that's that's one of the reasons, or basically, actually the main reason we moved to Europe is climate-wise and the possibility to play at um, games at a high level against big clubs, let's say. Um, and what kind of teams do you play against? So uh, do you play against national teams? Do you play against, for example, uh, Barcelona B? How, do, how does that work? Um, we, this season we've played uh, Celta de Vigo, Real Sociedad, but also uh, the German national team. Um, we went to Sporting Lisbon. We played in, against Copenhagen. So we fly or we flew when it was still possible all over um, Europe and played against those, those teams. Um, in the, we had uh, PSV also lined up in Sheffield, but that, those um, games got cancelled due, uh, due to the virus. Which is obviously a, a, a big impact, but how do, you, how do you make that then work in terms of um, you don't have a competitive league to play in, but you organize your own friendlies. Um, how many friendlies do you get per year? Uh, we, we played every week. Every week. That's, uh, yeah. that's pretty impressive. Um, yeah, we, we, we played every week. And the, what you're saying is right. It was hard to sometimes motivate the players or to, to, yeah, to get them give everything because there wasn't a competition. It was just a friendly. And that was quite hard. But we, um, because we had a quite a big squad, there was competition within the players to play actually, because the, the head coach had to had to choose the best players. So if you show you are good in the game, you make more chance to play again the next game. 
And did you so, did you then um, take, um, for example, you, you mentioned you had a big squad. Did you then take two teams to play, or was it just, uh, let's say, a sixteen-man team, um, and the best players get to go? Uh, no, we played two. We we've played two teams. Okay. So we would fly to uh, Celta uh, to uh, Santander for where's we uh, also see that. Uh, so she that no what's that again uh, anyway we, we would fly to a location let's say Madrid to play Arcocon and then we would arrange another um, another friendly so we would have two games um, but that would be a little lower level so the players would always want to be in the playing the games against the highest team that makes sense yeah, so you'd have effectively one team which would play um, the big, the big club of the weekend, yeah, and then maybe a second yeah. team who would play a, a lower level club. Yeah, exactly, and we, and we didn't play in the weekend because okay. um, uh, obviously all the clubs have their competition. Yeah, yeah. So we always we always play Tuesday or Wednesday. And how did that work in terms of, um, there's obviously a lot of a physical demand, a mental demand from flying everywhere and playing effectively uh, throughout Europe, an away game every single week. Um, how does that impact on the training that you can do during the week? Yeah, so what, what, our ideal, what ideal situation would be, what we always wanted was to not play more than two games away in the month. So we would host two games and we would um, play two games away and ideally alternating. And then um, it has an impact on um, obviously the recovery time because traveling um, straight after the game and then you need uh, an extra session to get those plays ready for the next training week. Um, and we didn't. We, you obviously don't have that problem when you stay at home, when you have a home game, and um, you have a lot less traveling. So we tried to manage that by alternating um, away and home games. And uh, is that an attractive prospect to a lot of teams to say, okay, we're going to go uh, to to Spain to play, for example, the Saudi under twenty three team? Um, are there a lot of teams that then that take that opportunity or is it more like a sort of, oh, we're on training camp, uh, we can organize a good game, uh, we're happy yeah. with that? Yeah, the last, uh, okay. last example. Yeah. So, and we had, um, um, in the region in Spain, we had teams um, that would be able to play us so they didn't have to travel that much. Oh, that's useful. That's very useful. Yeah. This podcast is also brought to you by Flex. Flex is the latest product to enter the velocity-based training market, developed by the team at Gymwear. Flex is the only laser-based training system available, and it's this unique technology that makes Flex the most accurate and reliable barbell tracking product in the sub-500 US dollar category. It's wireless, portable, and it's super user-friendly. Find out why VBT is such a powerful training method and what separates Flex from the competition at flexstronger.com. Um, yeah. So how does all of this influence youth development? Because that's obviously the goal of um, of the entire project. Um, how does this compare to, for example, if they were to play in an under-23 league in Saudi Arabia? Yeah, but the league is not there. 
Exactly, exactly. I mean, but if, yeah. if, if that was to be the case, what would be then the differences? <clears throat> the difference would be that the level of games and the level of the training sessions, the intensities are a lot higher. Um, to play a local game here is completely different than playing a national team in Germany. Um, because that's the best of the best. And here in uh, the Middle East, um, there are not that many players that are on that level. Do I explain myself? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Then. So the the intensity and the quality of the football is just um, completely different. Effect. Yeah, yeah, it's completely different. Uh, and also, and and also the the environment. Um, the in general, it, it over here it uh, it goes a little bit slower than in Europe. Not only the football, but life in general. So they had to, and that was also a bit challenging for them in the beginning, is that we demanded a lot from them from the beginning. Um, and they had to adapt to our, what well, we expect. We had to adapt to them as well, because it's not a one-way, uh, one-way street or one-way current. Um, we had to adjust what we expected from them but they had to also learn that all right we have to be at breakfast at 7 30 we have to be at the club at uh, 8 30 to be ready for our pre-activation at nine and is that is that and something that, which doesn't necessarily sit in their um in their psyche in the in the culture they're just kind of like ah oh, we'll, we'll be there and it'll be fine yeah what, what for us the dutch um it's when we agree to meet at nine, it's nine and not nine or one. I can attest to that. <laughs> and ideally, it's 10 to nine, you're there. Um, for them, it's like, well, what does that one minute matter? Yeah. Yeah. And- you know, and, and if you have lived all your life like that, and then there are all of a sudden some crazy Dutch coaches in front of you, Asking you where, where where are you one minute late, yeah. <laughs> then it's uh, then it's very challenging to adapt to to that new um, environment. Yeah, I can uh, I can imagine, especially uh, for the younger kids who've never seen that before, um, and potentially the kids who've been in academy systems in Saudi Arabia and had uh, foreign coaches from other countries who've not necessarily had that same kind of um, timekeeping pressure. Uh, that's a, a pretty big culture shock, right? Yeah, yeah. And that was... Um, so you have to imagine how we set up. So a year ago, there, or a little over a year ago, there was, there was nothing. And we had to... Uh, we set up the whole academy with our guidelines, our rules, our football methodology, our strength methodology, and or physical development methodology, and also how to deal with these uh, these players. And um, yeah, that 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 was challenging, but I think we have learned both ways, like both the players and us uh, learned a lot, and um, and we. Um, we, we've we've both become better, and, and, and a great example is that there are now uh, quite a lot of players, almost uh, all the players that were in uh, with us in in Spain, 
they want to come back because they have now been able to train here with the club, with their clubs. Uh, and they're like, well, we want, we want to go back to Spain to, to live again and to train and to work again how we got taught uh, in the past year. I think that's a, a massive compliment to the, the kind of program that you can put together as well. Um, yeah. And what's the, yeah. what are the goal of these, uh, what are the goals of these athletes? Where, where do they want to get to in their career? Is it to get back into the Saudi league um, and perform at a high level there? Or are they looking further afield? Um, the goal of the program is to, uh, short term, is to increase the, the football development and um, or the football abilities, the quality of the of the football players, and um, with a final goal is to increase the quality of the national team, the first national team. Um, then a sub goal for us is is to place players that we trained in European clubs. And is, there, and is there a big gap at the moment between uh, the Saudi national players and European clubs? Uh, like, could they play at European clubs? I think some could. And we have had offers for some players. Um, but there is still a gap, yeah. Yeah, if you, you have um, uh, players from... Uh, Ajax, for example, from the same age category, they played a uh, Champions League. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, and yeah. Then there's a gap. <laughs> and there is a gap. Um, and you have to be honest in that. And, and that's very logical that there's a gap, but that's why we are here. We are here to develop them and get them up to that level. And, and so, uh, yeah, sorry, go on. Yeah. Uh, so, we, we, we touched on culture. Um, how does the European culture influence the athletes? Uh, are they able to then uh, live up to those expectations, which are, which are European expectations of being on time, um, making sure you're well prepared? Um, are there other further influences as well? Like what you said, being on time and, and the work ethic, they, the first three, four months, they struggled. They struggled a lot with what we ask from them and how much we ask from them. And, and, but we also tried to help them in integrating into that culture. So we had um, special lifestyle classes, let's call it that way, where we um, touched on the differences between their culture, not on, not on the pitch, eh? I'm talking more off the pitch, um, their culture and the European culture. And what that means for, for example, their nutrition habits, nutritional habits. What do they do in Europe? And what do they do? Uh, what do they do? <laughs> and there's a, there's a very big gap. And if for anybody who worked in the Middle East um, knows that um, or should know that it's an illusion to try and change their whole culture. Um, but you try to educate them regarding those uh, nutritional habits that they're very good to on a certain way and show them what, how they do it. I imagine that having, having a lot of European role models, for example, if, uh, if Cristiano Ronaldo is there and Lionel Messi is there and they're eating fruit and vegetables instead of going to the shop and, uh, and buying a load of sweets, um, that helps a lot if they can see that a little bit closer as well, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, 
And but that's still a challenge because if you if you if you coming back to having lived your whole life in Saudi Arabia and being used to certain things, and you think that it's healthy, or you've always been told that it's healthy, um, then uh, it's again that strange Dutch coast that tries to teach you how to do it the completely other way. A very very simple. Um, uh, example is that they love to eat cornflakes in the morning, yeah. which I, I don't think is, is the best uh, breakfast. And then they, on top of that cornflakes, it's either a lot of sugar or a lot of honey. <laughs> yeah. So they get and, lots of carbs, uh, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They carb loading the whole year. Um, <laughs> uh, and I'm like, why, why do you put so, so much honey on it? And uh, no, they say. And that comes from their culture. Honey is very healthy. This is a very healthy, um, yeah, uh, uh, food source. And I'm like, well, <laughs> I'm not sure if like pouring a whole tub of honey is very healthy for you. And then you take them into that process of explaining to them, like, all right, what should your plate look like? And but that's that's very similar to the European, European approach. Only you have to remember where these kids come from or where these players come from, is that they've been told their whole life, this is good for you. So that's, um, that's one part of the, the challenge um, that we have uh, another, let me, let me think. Uh, no, that's it. That's it. I, I wanted to, to touch on something else, but maybe it's better. Not <laughs> <laughs> no problem, no problem. In that case, could you give us a, a 30 second bullet point summary of, uh, of what you discussed today? And we can uh, wrap up and give you some free time this afternoon. Ooh, um, all right, let me think. So in, um, in a nutshell, what, um, what I've been doing, what we have been doing with the project is to raise the bar of the uh, Saudi Arabian youth players. And we try to do that by playing at a higher level and training at a high intensity here in Europe so that whenever they have improved enough, they can either move to a club in Europe and finally uh, improve the national first team, the first national team, sorry. Absolutely fantastic. Chris, massive thanks for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure. All right, thank you very much. I hope uh, I hope this helps. Uh, helps you <laughs> um, I think it's a, a super interesting conversation for a lot of people so uh, yeah massive thanks and that's it once again a massive thanks to Chris for all of his hard work on today's podcast I really appreciate it and I'm sure you do at home too before you leave I want to point you in the direction of the Science of Sport Coaches Academy which hosts a series of mini courses broken down into bite-sized chunks so that you can easily digest them throughout your busy work week Topics range from aerobic conditioning to ACL rehab to warm-ups. Our specific interest for this episode is probably the long-term athletic development module, which will be released on the 18th of August. So if you're listening to the podcast on Monday, in just a day's time, you'll be able to find that one on the Coaches Academy. And if you want to have a look at that mini course for free, all you have to do is get into the show notes in just a few seconds time and click on the link to get a seven-day free trial. And you can see all of the other mini courses, of course, at the same time. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me. I'm Matt Solomon for Science of Sport, and I'll speak to you next week.